Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. I am your host. Happy Tuesday uh, to you and yours. Happy day after Monday. Uh, we're rolling towards the weekend, and I've got an awesome show uh, planned for us today. Uh, Delano Squires uh, will be here to help me unpack uh, my fire starter and to fan those flames. Uh, TJ Moe will be here to talk a little NFL football. Pete Carroll uh, blames NFL owners for not wanting to hire people different than them, and that's what's got to change with minority hiring. We'll talk about that with TJ Moe. Uh, Shamika Michelle and Uncle Jimmy have questions for each other that are loosely based around dating and, and where we're at in this society as relates to dating. Uh, I can't wait uh, for that. Uh, and, but we're going to begin today's show with me trying to unpack uh, an idea that, and, and Delano, Delano's waiting in the wings, and I'm going to get to him, and hopefully I'm going to get to him sooner than I think, but it may take me a little bit of time to unpack this, and I, I wish that my mono today, my fire starter today is kind of unscripted. It, it's, it's, I'm going to try to tie all these ideas together just right here in my head, uh, not no help from a written column or, or a teleprompter. Uh, let's see if I can do it. Uh, so I, I, I want to start here. Last night, uh, or two nights ago, uh, they uh, named a suspect in the Sacramento shooting. Uh, DeAndre Martin, I believe, is the guy's name, and his arrest or his, uh, yeah, he got arrested. They're not sure if he's a shooter, but they think he's involved. And initially, that's DeAndre or Dondre or whatever his name is, Martin, one of the suspects. And initially over Twitter, uh, people mistakenly Googled a Dondre and came up with a guy that looks kind of Russian or white. He's wearing one, looks like he's wearing one of those hats. I don't know if that's his hat or it's his hair. But initially over Twitter, people thought that was DeAndre Martin. And there was a celebration because the Sacramento shooter that killed several black people outside of a nightclub. I think there was some Latino people also killed, but there was a celebration because it was like, oh my God, the, the shooter's a white guy and we can continue with our racial divided narrative and black Twitter can celebrate and, and we got something to work with here. And then very quickly, people figured out, nah, that ain't Dondre Martin. And they came up with the real Dondre Martin and then all of a sudden, the pendulum swung the other way, and just as, as I suspected, uh, this is the typical gang activity that has plagued major cities across America for many years. And, and today, or earlier today, or late last night, uh, a second suspect, Dondre's brother, who goes by the name of Smiley Martin. He was arrested. And he's, again, we don't know if he's a shooter, but he's involved. And, and anyway, to me, this pointed out part of the lunacy of social media and Twitter and the racial divide and the racial conversation of Twitter and this, this whole phenomenon that 
we started calling eight, 10 years ago, black Twitter. And what I call black Twitter basically is the marketing arm of the black KKK. And I have used the term the black KKK for years. Uh, and I've talked about how uh, the original KKK, white men in hoods that terrorized black communities, lynched uh, black people, threatened them, bullied them with the threat of violence, uh, called them the N-word repeatedly. That was their favorite pet word for black people. Uh, I have argued that the black KKK has replaced the original KKK. And many of the KKK, they call themselves Bloods or Crips, Gangster Disciples. Uh, they call themselves Gangster Rappers. Uh, and, and now they call themselves Black Twitter. And that's like the marketing arm of the Black KKK. They uh, defend, nothing to see here. Who, black KKK, they're dropping bodies all over America, black bodies all over America, Chicago, Baltimore, Sacramento, Indianapolis, Philadelphia, everywhere. The Black KKK just terrorizes communities. Their favorite word is the N-word, often the last thing their victims hear uh, before their death is, uh, I smoke that N-word. And the N-word is, you know, somehow this term of endearment and, you know, but it's the favorite word of the people who are doing a lot of violence towards black people. And, and so I started using this term, I think in 2006, 2007, and it, it may have had something to do, if my memory serves me right, when Sean Taylor, the Washington Redskins football great, uh, was killed in his home, I think that was the first time I used the term the black KKK, saying that's who likely killed him. Uh, you know, some black dudes or gang members or, or whatever, and people lost their mind. And, and some people loved it. Black liberals uh, hated it. How, oh, this is offensive, this is painful. Oh, the KKK did all of this damage to us 100 years ago. And for anybody to make any analogy to them is, is reprehensible. I'm like, Tell me what the Bloods and the Crips, what's the difference between them and the KKK? Bloods and the Crips hate black people. Those are the bodies they're dropping constantly. Gangster disciples, that's the bodies they're dropping. They're tossing the N-word around, doing damage to terrorizing black communities, have people living in fear. Oh, oh, oh but, but they're black and that's special and that, that's proximity crime. When, when, when these two brothers potentially participated in this deal out in Sacramento, that's because they're all in proximity to each other. It has no connection to their uh, disrespect, lack of reverence, respect for black people animus they may carry towards black people. 
indiscriminately violent towards black people. That's all proximity. It's just because they just all happen to be neighbors. Now, again, I'm not sure if these guys, half the people they dropped, there's a couple of women involved here, if they even knew them. This is a lack of respect for black people and, the, and a lack of respect for the sanctity of our lives. That's all it is. And so a lot of this, the protection of the black KKK is driven by black Twitter and these social media apps. Because if you point out what's obvious, that there is a black on black uh, crime problem, violent problem, and that there is uh, a lack of respect for uh, black life, and that lack of respect manifests itself most often in other black people. Oh, Twitter goes off on you're a sellout, you're racist, uh, you don't want to talk about um, you know, white people and white supremacy. I, I don't live in fear of the KKK. That's something my forefathers, ancestors uh, lived in fear of. I don't. I don't live in fear of the Bloods and the Crips, but there's a far more likely chance of them doing harm to me than the Proud Boys or anybody else. But, but I, I want to connect this all to social media and, and particularly Twitter because there's this celebration going on in conservative circles that Elon Musk has bought a substantial stake in Twitter and Elon Musk, Elon Musk believes in free speech and Twitter's about to change because Elon Musk, I believe, owns 9%. He bought a $3 billion stake. Uh, is it, uh, he's the biggest shareholder, I think, now in Twitter and now he's maybe chairman of the board, or he's got some position on the board, a seat on the board, and every, oh, Twitter's about to change. Elon Musk is gonna change it. He is a believer in free speech. He's an independent thinker. And look, there's Twitter's employees upset that Elon Musk bought this large stake, and they're quitting, and they're upset, and, and Twitter's gonna change, and things are gonna be better. I don't buy any of that. And that's, hats off to Elon Musk for buying Twitter. Uh, I wish him well, and I hope to be proven wrong with what I'm about to say. But I don't think Twitter is about to undergo some metamorphosis, some change that's gonna have any impact on the problems we have going on in modern America today. Twitter has done its job. The reason why, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, the reason why Elon Musk was able to buy such a large chunk of it is because Twitter is over. It's, it's job mission accomplished. That's why Jack Dorsey exited several months ago and handed it over to someone else is because his invention that he and others founded had done its job. It, it has completely and totally racially polarized America. It has empowered uh, the left. It has empowered and amplified the voices of the LGBTQ, uh, the transphobic community. It has empowered and amplified 
and uh, allowed the left to seize power in the places where it wanted to seize power. Twitter has no more to offer the far left. And Twitter is it just just like the N word. Twitter's not going to be remade into something that actually is a force for good. You understand what I'm saying? Twitter has made. When's the last time Twitter has made a star? That's what Twitter used to be. The the platform where uh, people like Sean King were installed as influencers. People like DeRay McKesson from Black Lives Matter, Sean King from Black Lives Matter. Sean King got to pretend to be black on Twitter and built a platform on Twitter. Twitter doesn't do that anymore. Twitter doesn't make stars anymore. Twitter doesn't create influencers anymore. TikTok does. Instagram does. Take, uh, you guys have heard me reference Kevin Samuels. That dude has virtually no imprint on Twitter, but he's a mega star on YouTube and on Instagram. Kwame Brown from a few months ago. That's a total YouTube, Instagram phenomenon. Twitter does not make stars anymore. Its influence is over and dead, and Elon Musk isn't going to resuscitate it. Critter created little satanic influencers like Sean King, DeRay McKesson, and others. And now those guys have gone off and started little charity groups and organizations. Twitter uh, made the whole little, the, the three lesbians that founded Black Lives Matter. That was a Twitter hashtag. Empowered them. They've all bought mansions now. They all uh, sit on boards of charities. They all speak. They're all on the college campus speaking circuit. At all, they all are demanding ten to $20,000 to hear them speak on college campuses. Twitter's made all the stars that it's going to make. Twitter's dead. And now, Elon Musk has an opportunity, perhaps, change the name of Twitter, move it out of Silicon Valley, rebrand, do something completely different. But in terms of star making, Twitter has no, I'm, I'm sitting here right now, what's the last star that Twitter made? And, and the other thing I forgot to mention in terms, Twitter is a, uh, was a vehicle for the matriarchy. This, people won't hear me correctly when I say this. They'll think I'm being jealous. Uh, they'll think envy is uh, uh, forcing this comment, but it's not, I'm just speaking facts. Take Twitter's support of Candace Owens' brand. That's intentional. Many other conservatives have been shadow banned, silenced, uh, uh, not allowed to grow 
but somehow the strongest voice on Twitter, particularly on the racial lines, happens to be a black woman. This is the matriarchy. This is the, the diminishing of men and installing of women in places of influence and power. Twitter has done its job. It has created, I'm not taking a dump on Candace. No problem with her Blexit movement. No problem with her show on the Daily Wire. But just quite, she's not a leader. She's not someone who's going to be able to stand toe to toe and really take on the people and the energy that's undermining and destroying this country. Not taking a dump on her but she's a secular leader. I do not hear her talking about God and what's really going on here in America and across the globe. The secular movement, the godless movement, the satanic movement. I'm not saying she's in on it with them. I'm not trying to take a dump on her. I'm trying to get you to understand what Twitter's job has been, what it's done, what it's accomplished, the emasculation of men in general, the particular emasculation of heterosexual Christian men in particular. That's the job of Twitter. It has done its job. Elon Musk isn't going to fix that. It has racially divided us. It has made us evaluate every criminal situation based on skin color. And it has made us believe that every criminal situation, George Floyd to Sacramento and the color of the shooters to Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, everything is judged through the lens of race. Elon Musk isn't gonna change that. They have changed the culture. No different than I, I said, how did America go from uh, being against gay marriage to being not just pro-gay marriage, but if you're not pro-gay marriage, you're an evil person. How did America flip on a dime like that? Because Twitter normalized that mentality and imposed that mentality. And a new Twitter, Elon Musk version of Twitter, not gonna change that. Twitter has done the damage to this culture that it cannot fix. And so to some degree, I've been disappointed that Elon Musk, richest man, I think on the planet, would take his money and, and use it to get involved with Twitter rather than creating his own thing. And again, I don't know much about Elon Musk. I, I really don't. And so I could, maybe he's some fervent Christian man of faith that I'm unaware of. At this moment, I don't believe that to be true. And so bottom line, what I'm saying in terms of what really fixes our culture and what fixes America is a restoration of Christian, Judeo-Christian culture and values. 
And so I'm very suspicious. You, 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 a lot of people very protective of Trump and Trump, 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 Trump. I've never been one of those people. He doesn't bother me. I don't think he's as evil as, as the media makes him out to be. But I don't see uh, Trump as some great supporter of Christian values. I don't see him as a leader that can fix what's wrong with America. He can perhaps put a finger in the dam that's broken. And I get why people like and respect him. And again, I'm not trying to take a major dump on him, just like I'm not trying to take a dump on Candace Owens. But unless people are talking about a spiritual rebirth, they're not talking about fixing America. They're talking about gaining power for the po politics that they believe in. America has a spiritual rot that must be addressed. Twitter is the most secular place, the most secular environment, the most secular culture I have ever seen. And maybe I haven't looked around. They say Facebook is just as bad. I don't have Facebook. But I hope I have unpacked my thoughts properly. And Delano, I'm sorry uh, for keeping you waiting uh, for so long. Uh, I'm going to start here. Do you think Elon Musk acquiring a major stake in Twitter uh, is that something we should be celebrating and thinking it's going to impact the culture? Hey, Jason, I, I think um, to the extent that Elon Musk um, values free speech and the First Amendment more than the current leadership structure of Twitter, it, it could move us in, in the right direction. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, paraphrasing Frederick Douglass, I'll describe myself as a as a four-box conservative, right? Douglas had three boxes, the, the ballot box, the jury box, box, and the cartridge box. I like to add a fourth box, which is the soapbox. Um, and Twitter has become that soapbox for our entire culture and, and really globally. So um, if Elon Musk can use his um, influence as a, as a shareholder of Twitter to truly democratize the public square on the platform, um, that could be something that ultimately helps push the culture forward. It could it could be one small move, but you know that that's that in itself is important because again we saw before the 2020 election how the New York Post had a story spike that could have been seen as critical, you know, of then candidate Joe Biden, um, and then I think within the last week or so. The Washington Post, the New York Times have all had to come back and say, yes, everything that the Post story said, we were able to verify, right? So it's clear that that was a, a move, a political move to, to crush dissent and free speech in the service of one particular candidate. And, and I think I've heard the C, current CEO of Twitter talk about, you know, curating the space. They always use this fuzzy language, but really what it means is, um, shutting down any type of conversation that we don't like. And obviously, in 2020, that was political. Now, as you very well know, if, if you uh, repeat or adhere to biological reality when it comes to Rachel Levine or Leah Thomas or Laverne Cox or any other um, 
you know, male who identifies as a woman, then you also could be banned by Twitter, such as the case with Babylon B. So if Elon Musk can even change that, where we can actually have free, open, robust discussion, then I think that would be a net benefit. But that, you know, remains to be seen. I, I get what, what do you think of my contention that Twitter no longer makes any stars, that that actually has moved to TikTok, it's moved to Instagram. I, I don't, I can't think of the last person who became an important influencer thanks to Twitter. I, 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 I think that five years ago, had Elon Musk bought Twitter, it's important. I, I, I think he's buying it now when it's credibility and ability to create stars, to create influences, to influence culture has been tremendously weakened by, you know, everybody has figured out what Twitter is. It's a rigged algorithm. And, mm. and I don't think you can fix that perception with new ownership. Uh, I, and and I, I just don't, I think people's habits are changing. I, I would suspect that Twitter's growth, new users, uh, has really, really slowed. Uh, all these little 60 second, you know, again, Twitter's 280 characters now, and we've all been dumbed down enough that uh, I'm just, uh, people send me, my friends, guys my age that are college educated, run businesses, they send me TikTok stuff. And I was just like, this is how dumbed down we've been is that 60 seconds of a TikTok deal is enough to satiate our curiosity. I mean, I think you bring up a number of good points, right? And, and I think there's some distinctions that we can make in terms of um, Twitter as a platform that creates original, well, in which people create original content, and then Twitter as a platform in which people share content that's created somewhere else, oftentimes TikTok. Because you and I both get you know, TikTok videos that people share on Twitter. So, and then when we share them, that's how you get something, you know, like the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, you know, uh, Mark Robinson, how that video went viral basically over a weekend. Uh, I will say this, I do think in some respects, the rise of, you know, conservative media outlets and influencers, and if I could be a little self and, um, you know, engage in a little self aggrandizement, this, even this very show, Right. And and some of the people that you've put on this show, myself included, have seen, you know, our ability to speak into the culture grow over less than a year of, of being on Twitter. I, mean, I think when I first uh, started the show, I, I might have been maybe at 2000, 3000 Twitter followers. Now I'm at fifty five thousand. Again, there are people who have millions. So I'm not I'm not comparing myself to them in any way, shape or form. But what I'm saying is. There are people on this show who, when they want to engage in dialogue with some of the folks who have hundreds of thousands, if not more followers, um, those people have to respond now, right? So we're not just eggs and bots that they think that they can brush off. So I think, you know, b between you, Jason, this show, The Blaze, other personalities, you see something similar with The Daily Wire, um, we're making dents in, in the culture and able to even if it's ever so slightly changed the, the, the direction of the stream of information and discourse, 
Um, the question is, what effect does that have in in the long run? Because I'll say this. Let's just, again, let's go back to the topic we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Um, if the NCAA and um, other entities, right, who allow men men who identify as women, women, quote unquote, to take up space, compete against women, take scholarships, take economic opportunities. If some of them start to question, you know, the 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 wisdom of some of those moves and really start to repeal some of those moves, I think a, a significant amount of credit should go to conservative Twitter in terms of beating back um, that onslaught. Again, how you parse that out, you know, would remain to be seen, but there are a lot of conservatives online. In the same way you talked about black Twitter and, and you, you if if the gangbangers are the KKK, then I would call black Twitter the Citizens Council, right? More respectable, um, they, they wear suits and ties, you know, if, if we were to follow the analogy out, but what they end up doing is running cover and being spin doctors for the guys that are making, you know, our communities, you know, very, very difficult to live in. But conservative Twitter and even Christian Twitter is growing in its own influence. And you see people, um, some of whom are not even Christian. So I'm thinking of someone like James Lindsay, who, who is a self-identified atheist, who is making common cause with Christians who realize that some of the things that the left, you know, is selling us are really taking us down the road of destruction. So uh, I think the, the tool may still, and the platform may still be useful. Um, that can be true at the same time that it's waning in influence in the same way that a lot of people, you know, have gotten off of Facebook or don't get onto Facebook as often. And certainly on anybody under the age of like 20, they, they've totally abandoned Facebook. As you said, a lot of them on TikTok and is the case with technology. I'm sure if you talk to middle school kids, they have an entire different set of tools and platforms that they go on. Um, but I think it's a platform can be relevant but still dwindling in in influence at, at the same time. So the other contention or the other argument I'm making is that Twitter had a job to do, racially divide the country, I think impose an identity, particularly on black people, that we see ourselves as a political ideology, left wing, Democrat, progressive, whatever, however you want to define that. And, and I think it's going to be difficult for us to untether ourselves mm. from that brainwashing that our influencers from LeBron James to, what's her name, Angela Rye, to Roland Martin, to all, the, all these guys have gathered up enough steam through Twitter to make, convince black people that the way to express your blackness is either by saying the N-word or by espousing every left-wing policy all the way down to uh, LGBTQIA plus loyalty and allyship. Uh, and, and that, when I look, it's why I hate Twitter, just to be quite honest with you, is because it, it's, it's empowered that thinking and made that the cultural norm. And, and we're like the only group that has no real freedom of thought. Mm. I, I, again, I think 
you know, when, when I when I open my feed, and obviously Twitter is a platform that that the individual can curate, right? So you could choose to follow certain people, and and I've um, I've found myself following more and more conservatives and, and conservative Christians o- over the last couple of years. I mean, I still do follow you know people like Joy Reid and, and Roland Martin, um, just just to get a sense of what the other side, quote unquote, is discussing, and to see the extent to which you know there's any 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 overlap or synergy there. Um, but yeah, it, the, the, the platform definitely, I think, has served the purpose of exacerbating racial division. And, and honestly, Jason, and this dovetails a little bit with, with my column, I've even seen that within the sort of the black conservative movement, right? So, um, you know, my piece is on, on reparations, and I've seen how that topic, even among black conservatives, has caused division between you know, people who will, will identify themselves as, you know, ADOS, American descendants of slavery or FBA, foundational black American or freedmen, whatever term they want to use. Right. So black folk whose lineage and history goes back to the, to the country's founding. And sometimes the, the, the rhetoric between those people and, and people like myself, right, the, the children or, um, you know, first or second generation Americans whose parents immigrated for a different country, it gets to the point where you ask yourself, it's like, wow, this this is some sharp rhetoric, which I'm not opposed to, by the way. I think I think I think one of the beauties of Twitter is it it is a platform where you can have, you know, substantive disagreements. But anybody can can notice when you go from, again, you know, significant or substantive debate to invective and ad hominem and personal insult. Um, so I, I think at times the platform can become divisive and especially for people who don't tweet under their own identity. Um, I, actually, Jason, I was telling my wife, it was about a year ago this time, um, I had retweeted an article from, I think it was the Daily Mail, so out of the UK. It was talking about a program in Oakland that was going to provide you know, some monetary benefit, but only to low-income black folks. So if you were a low-income white person in Oakland, you wouldn't be eligible. And I, I said something that I didn't, I didn't even think was, was controversial, something to the effect of, you know, these folks don't understand the, the, the doctrine of Dr. King or Karl Marx, because to them, uh, a, a rich black person is more oppressed than, than a poor white person. You know, something to that effect. And Jason, I cannot tell you how many quote tweets and retweets I got with people calling me coon and sellout and I got tap dancing Daffy Duck and I got the dancing raccoon that went across the and it was it was um, in some ways it sort of knocked me off my game and it made me sort of put down Twitter for a day or two because I was like I, I wasn't prepared for that response because I thought I was saying something that was obviously true that if you want to hold together a large multi-ethnic multi-religious um, un- uh, republic, then divvying up resources and spoils based on skin color is the worst way to do it. In the same way that people fall out in their own blood family over inheritance and, and money and land after, you know, Big Mama or Pop Pop dies, if you do that within a, a large country, you can have some really, you know, serious, um, you know, consequences. Some of them could could lead to violence potentially. So I, I think the platform and the anonymity that it allows for some people, right, and the distance it allows, 
um, does create opportunities for people to be divisive in ways that they may not be if you were sitting across with somebody in person. And so, Delano, you've made my point or buttressed my point is where Twitter, you say something just completely obvious and factual. And Twitter is this funhouse mirror mm. that takes what you said completely out of context, distorts it, and it has this algorithm and people that are, oh my God, Delano said something that doesn't anger white people, so it <laughs> must be anti-black, mm. and we must all gather around and act like he said something. And trust me, the people tweeting at you, whether it be Roland Martin or any of these, they know what you're saying is factual. And so uh, this is my whole problem with Twitter. It, like, it promotes dishonesty. It mm. promotes an assault on truth. That to me is an assault on God and a biblical worldview. And I don't think it can be fixed. And, and uh, again, I, I'm not saying, hey, we should all abandon Twitter but let's accept it for what it is. It's a tool of the devil to distort mm. the truth and make people run from truth. I don't think Elon Musk, he's just a man and he's an insanely rich man, which makes me even more skeptical. He, he's, he's not going to fix that. It's funny, I, I meant to send you, and because I, I sent it to TJ Mo, I'm gonna send it to you uh, this week. I, I, I watched a sermon this Sunday from Mike Todd, uh, not your favorite <laughs> minister, but man, he gave a heck of a sermon about mm. the spirit of mammon and how mm. it convinces, it convinces man that he doesn't need God, that money can do what God does. And uh, it, it's a heck of a sermon or whatever. And so that's like what my concern with Elon Musk is and anybody that I don't hear occasionally, just occasionally, just talk about the importance of God, talk about the spiritual decay that we have going on in this country. Uh, I, I get it. Some people say, well, I, I don't want to mix religion into there because it'll turn off certain people, but, but that's like, well, if I tell the whole truth, that's going to turn off certain people. Now, nah, you're better off just telling the whole truth. And <laughs> so, uh, and if it turns people off, so what? Deal with that. And so th that's why, again, I don't know, I'm going to have to go look deeper into Elon Musk. Maybe he does have some sort of biblical worldview. I need to look deeper into Candace Owens. Maybe she has some kind of biblical worldview that she expresses some other place, but I don't see it often on her Twitter feed. Uh, and, and so, and that's because Twitter is a secular place and mm. these people have trained themselves to represent a secular worldview. And they're, I'm just not interested in it because it just, it won't work in terms of fixing the problems we have in this country. There's only one path and it goes through God. Uh, I'll let you have the final word, then I got to go. Okay, so I, I think you hit on something, and Jason, you you sound like um, how a lot of kids like me when they when the internet really you know, got jumping off, their parents would say that that internet is of the devil, right? Because 
they realize the types of things that their kids could be exposed to. But the same platforms that some people create and use for for ill intent and for evil, um, godly, wise people can use for good. So um, to to me, I think, you know, you hit on a number of points, but one of them I really want to press press home, which is I think we as a, as a society and culture have finally come to see the emptiness of sort of, you know, Marxist, Marxian thought around material goods and material wealth and civil order, peace and prosperity. There are some people that think that if, if all, you, all you need to do to make people behave better is meet all of their material needs. But what you tend to see in societies, and, and America is certainly one example, is some of the people who have the, the, the highest rates of suicide um, engage in some of the most degenerate and self-destructive behavior are people who have all types of resources, right? So what we're seeing as a culture is a civilizational collapse because we simultaneously have no center and no guardrails. And one of the th- things I, I love about the, the, the Christian faith and I tweeted about this, you know, the other day, and, you know, I was, I was talking about a, a passage in Colossians where it talks about, you know, th- this entire world and universe being made, you know, by Christ, for Christ, and in him all things hold together. So the, the scripture is painting a picture of the, the perfect center, immovable, solid, um, not changing with different winds of, of culture, Right, not changing from from one election cycle to the next, and it talks about guardrails, so that even if you move slightly from you know a little to the left, a little to the right, you won't spin out of control, because what we have now as a society, think of it like a wheel, Jason. Right, we have no hub, and we have no rim, so the, the spokes just fly all over the place. Every time you try to turn the wheel, the spokes fly off. So what we used to have. Is a, as, is a Christianized society where even people who didn't go to church had a certain, certain baseline behaviors and beliefs. They were somewhat familiar with the Ten Commandments. There were certain things that they just would not do, right? Even a gangster would not smack an old lady over the head and take a purse. And if he did, he knows that other people would both talk bad about him and he would have to face certain consequences. But now we're at a point where you know, teenagers are robbing 70-year-olds and that, or carjacking 70-year-olds. And when that person dies, the local government gives them a, a slap on the wrist. So, you know, we're, our society is coming apart at the seams. And I, and I think you hit on the, the only sort of um, long-term sustainable answer, answer, which is, as it talks about in the Old Testament, you know, if, if, if my people, this is God speaking, would turn from their wicked ways, right, and repent and call on me, then I'll heal their land. But outside of that, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, Elon Musk or LeBron James or whoever, the, the money, the resources, the power, the political power, none of those things can solve what ails this country. Um, as you said, there's only one way, and that's, and that's through Christ. Thank you, Delano. Great job as always. Uh, I want to tell you guys about Paint Your Life. Now that COVID is winding down and you can take vacations again, you're going to be taking a lot of pictures. With Paint Your Life, you can turn those new memories into art. Get a professional hand-painted portrait 
created from any photo at a truly affordable price or combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. Look at what Paint Your Life did for me and Uncle Jimmy. You guys have seen this before. This is a great gift. This is a great memento that Uncle Jimmy and I will have uh, forever. Uh, paint, at paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% of your painting, that's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word FEARLESS to 64,000. That's FEARLESS to 64,000. Message and data rates may apply, terms apply, and are available at paintyourlife.com terms. Again, text FEARLESS to 64,000. Paint your life, celebrate the moments that matter the most. Get yourself a personal gift with a personal touch. Don't give people gifts that, you know, they're gonna throw away or re-gift or whatever. You can't re-gift this. Who's Uncle Jimmy gonna give this to? Gotta keep it for himself. <laughs> All right, TJ Moe, next. All right, welcome back. Uh, Going to roll out to uh, Missouri and bring in T.J. Moe and talk some NFL uh, National Football League with T.J. First, let me take a second to set up uh, this topic. Uh, Pete Carroll, uh, the head coach, longtime head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, at the owners' meeting, not in front of the owners, but in front of head coaches and general managers. ESPN is reporting that uh, Pete Carroll slapped on the owners about uh, over minority hiring of coaches. And, and so I, I wanna read some of this just to give you a little context and setup uh, before we bring in TJ and before I start firing off my opinions. Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll called out NFL owners during the league's meetings last week in Florida, saying the hiring of minority candidates won't improve until owners accept that there are candidates out there different than themselves, a source told ESPN's Adam Schefter on Monday. Uh, then they quote from a source, he just went off, a source told Schefter. He was saying, you can do anything, but until owners get to know these candidates before the actual interviews and understand that they have to hire people who are different than them, it's not going to really change. So <clears throat> this is Pete Carroll uh, virtue signaling uh, in a meeting with coaches and general managers and you know, basically, it ain't me, guys. It's the owners. It's not us. It's not the general managers and, and us head coaches. It's the owners. They're the bad guys. And there have been some owners push back and say, hey man, who you head coaches develop on your staff a lot of times determine who we hire as head coaches. And so Pete Carroll, I don't believe, and again, the NFL has this craze now because they're paying quarterbacks so much money. 
uh, they want head coaches who have a relationship with the quarterback and can be instrumental in the development of quarterbacks. And so guess what? Pete Carroll, despite all his years as a head coach, he hasn't hired a black offensive coordinator. He hasn't developed a black offensive coordinator. He's had some black defensive coordinators. I can remember Ken Norton Jr. being one of them. Uh, but nothing on the offensive side. And, and I, I want just let's remove the racial element from this because clearly I think Pete Carroll's been out in Seattle too long. Uh, he's bringing his Seattle values and wokeness uh, to these meetings and, and who he may be the source that Adam Schefter is quoting here or his agent may be the source as Pete Carroll uh, shores up his resume because again with Russell Wilson gone and no prospects of finding a replacement quarterback as good as Russell Wilson Pete Carroll's in his 70s he's at the end of his coaching career He's not going to be doing a lot of winning at this level they were doing with Russell Wilson. And so it doesn't shock me that he now uh, is going over the top with the wokeness based on geography. He works for the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle's one of the wokest, most liberal cities in all of America, but also based on where his career is at. He's not going to be known for winning over these next two or three years, likely. He wants to be known as the white coach that fought for opportunities uh, for black coaches. He, he wants to be the guy, I'm the guy, and I fully expect he'll be the guy that brings in Colin Kaepernick after Kaepernick has been out of the league for five or six years. Nothing Pete Carroll does over the next two or three years will have anything to do with winning will have everything to do with brand building for Pete Carroll. And that's what he's doing here. And he's just dead wrong. And, and, and I'll say this, I think NFL owners have proven they'll hire anybody to help them win football games. They'll go out and get Greg Hardy after he was involved in a domestic violence issue and they'll pay him a lot of money and put him on the field. The Cleveland Browns just mortgaged their entire future, traded away virtually everything to get Deshaun Watson, who has 22 sexual allegations hanging over his head. Deshaun Watson is black. The Cleveland Browns just pulled off a Herschel Walker type trade to go out and get Deshaun Watson, despite 22 allegations of sexual misconduct, sexual assault, sexual harassment, hanging over his head. That's Jimmy Haslam. And maybe he's, maybe he's racist. Maybe, maybe he's a flaming bigot and just gave Deshaun Watson the richest contract per year, I think in NFL history. Jimmy Haslam, all in on a black quarterback with all this hanging over his head, made him the highest paid NFL employee, maybe with the exception of Roger Goodell, or, or maybe even more than Roger Goodell. But he's a bigot, and all these other NFL owners are bigots as well. 
because they just don't want to hire people different than them. And this whole narrative that they have to is a joke. And I'm not talking about race there because I don't think these owners, I don't think there's any proof given the makeup of NFL rosters in 2022. I don't think there's any substantial, credible proof that they care what color the employees are that help them win football games. There's no proof. You can't argue it based off of who they're paying and the amount they're paying. And so what Pete Carroll is arguing is, hey, you gotta hire people who think differently than you. And no, you don't. Not in America. And, and we see it, do you think MSNBC is out hiring people who think differently than them? Do you think CNN is out hiring people who think differently than them? Do you think my father, who ran a small tavern in the inner city of Indianapolis for 40, 50 years, do you think he was out hunting for employees who thought differently than him? Oh, you know what? I need the person who manages my club and counts the money when I'm not there. You know what? I need him to think differently than me. I got to get comfortable with that. That's not what my father did. His brother was his manager and number two man, my uncle, Kenneth. He got someone who thought like him, who reflected his values. Anybody that's ever run a business and had to hire leaderships, positions, they tend to go out and get people who reflect their values and think like them. And so here's where the mistake uh, black football coaches have made, black people have made, black people seeking leadership positions have made, is we have allowed the perception of us to be defined by white liberals and their Democratic Party. And again, Joe Biden, if you ain't black, if you ain't voting for me, we've allowed that to define us. And so, and we've also allowed our brand to be, we're victims and that we really don't like America and that America has been completely unfair to us. And oh my God, put me on a cross. I'm Jesus, I'm a victim here. That's not the mentality of leadership. No one is looking to put a victim in charge of their football team. And so if some of these coaches wanted to get a head coaching job, they would disavow the victim mentality publicly. They would walk completely away from the branding that's been handed to us. Because trust me, there aren't billionaires of any color 
looking for people who see themselves as victims. Hey, I, that's my leader. That's who I want addressing my football team. A guy who thinks he and all the other black millionaires in this locker room are victims. See, P Pete Carroll doesn't think of himself as a victim. And he's not man enough to tell these coaches, you better not think of yourself as a victim either. I don't care what happened 150 years ago. Bad stuff happened to everybody 150, 200 years ago. Last week, bad things happened. If you want, bad things just happen in Sacramento like I was just talking about in the previous uh, uh, segment. But this whole belief that, oh yeah, NFL owners, with your billion dollars, you need to pay somebody five or six million dollars to lead your football team who thinks, who thinks you're racist, who thinks America's evil, who thinks Colin Kaepernick is a hero, and who thinks all black people are victims. Yeah, that's who you need to install as your leader. No, they don't. And Pete Carroll knows it. And that's why he's never adopted that mentality, because he knows it would limit his chances of being an NFL head coach. But he's perfectly fine. Hey, y'all black dudes, y'all think that. And you know what, these other franchises, not the Seahawks, but these other franchises need to hire these black dudes that think they're victims. He'd love to compete against them. Love to compete against an NFL head coach who thinks he's a victim and thinks that these white dude billionaires that are paying all these black athletes millions of dollars, yeah, they're racist, they're your enemy. Love to compete against that idiot. So that's my take on this. Uh, TJ, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, what, what, what do you think is going on here with uh, Pete Carroll? Uh, you know, I, again, I, I tend to think he or someone in his camp leaked this out and he's trying to build his brand because he, he wants to live in a protected space the next couple of years while he tries to figure out who his next quarterback is. Yeah, who knew Pete Carroll was the NFL's version of Jim Harbaugh? I, I was not aware he was Mr. Woke. Um, I also think if he had any guts at all, he'd have marched into the owners and said something to himself. To go back channel, it tells you what kind of man he is, uh, which I am I'm not a fan of indirect communication. Uh, I'm, I would like to marinate on what you said before I go, because it is interesting. The NFL is incredibly diverse. And so perhaps what they're asking for is diversity of thought, which would be in direct opposition of what has made the NFL successful. They have one way of doing it and they have dominated the landscape. I didn't go there with, when I was getting ready for the show. So I want to think about that a while longer before I comment too much on it. I think conservatives and Christians in particular have some serious blame when it comes to allowing the wokes to frame the conversation. We always do this. And it, part of it is our nature. And that is conservatives want to conserve. We like the way things are. We think life is good. It's about us. What can I do in my life? And so we're not frequently trying to create new ways to change the world. But the people on the left hate America. So they're always trying to change it. And so 
you have diversity, inclusion, and equity, and those all sound like really nice words. And they frame it as though if you oppose those things as not good values, but the top values, the values that must be implemented immediately, if you oppose those, you're a racist who hates fairness and you only want white people around. And it's just not true. And what we do a terrible job of is explaining the opposition. Not that we think diversity is bad, we think that diversity is a good thing so long as it comes after individualism. Individualism is the belief and practice that every person is unique and self-reliant. Luke 12 tells us that the hairs on your head are numbered. God knows everything about you. All of scripture talks about your specific value to him, you being special. So if you get into a place where you are looking into group judgment instead of the individual, that is against the teaching of Jesus. That's why making diversity the highest value is a bad thing. But instead of countering it with, hey, listen, it's about you, man. It's about Jason Whitlock. It's not about a black guy from Indianapolis. It's about Jason. Jason's not like his neighbor. Jason's not like his neighborhood. Jason's not like his state. Jason's just Jason. And so if you evaluate based on the way that you are in particular, we can figure out how to go to the next step. And if, di if diversity happens within that, that's a great thing. That means different people from different places and different experiences can come together and have all individually earned that. That's a very good thing. But making it the top value is incredibly detrimental and I think in direct opposition of individualism. But we don't explain that. We, we just, people say, well, you're against diversity, you're a racist. And I think that is incredibly problematic. Equity's another issue. It's supposed, you wanna go ahead? Yeah, I, I wanna just add this in, not that I'll forget it, but I just wanna give you a chance to respond to this. You're saying what conservatives do a bad job of is framing the conversation. I, I think conservatives and, and just people that love America do a bad job of defending what they love and protecting what they love. TJ, I met your wife uh, and you stood in front of a church and your friends and family and swore your life to, to your wife, but you don't just end it there. Your wife needs reassurance, probably on a daily basis. Baby, I love you, you're beautiful. I really value the way you treat our child. I, I value the way you take care of me, the support you give me. It's an everyday protection, defense, and argument about what it is you love. And that's where I, I fault people who say they love America, but don't wanna do the job of defending, protecting it, and loving America on a daily basis. And so what the left has done has convinced everyone that change is the most important thing. And that's why the NFL has an inspire change campaign. And, and they'll put it on the back of their helmets. And these guys have no idea what, they, what it is they wanna change. They just know, you know what? If I'm, if, if I'm changing something, I'm doing something good. Well, suppose your wife is 118 pounds and she, you know, the kiss she gives you when you come home is just perfect and, and the way she cooks dinner or the way she represents herself on a job or represents you at church. What if all those things are perfect and you don't want them to change? You just want to reinforce because things mm -hmm. are good. And so the, the, the left has convinced young people 
that if you're not out there promoting change of some kind, you're not living a life worth celebrating, a life of value. And, and so there are some of us like, nah, man, I, I love America and I don't want everything to change. Maybe there's a few things we could tweak. Maybe I could, you know, put the toilet seat down more often. Maybe mm-hmm. I could do better with small talk uh, and, and, you know, making sure that I'm listening to you and all that. But overall, you know, do I want you to change or me to dramatically change? Not really. I, these are the reasons I fell in love with you. And there's things I fell in love with about America. And I'm looking at the left convince everybody, well, we got to change all of that because mm-hmm. because those guys that founded this country are, are terrible people. And, and I'm looking at the NFL, if these idiot players would protect something that has been very good to them, <laughs> made millionaires of many, many people who aren't very smart, to be quite frank, and because I used to be one of them. I was not very smart when I was an athlete. I had to put a lot of work in after college to catch up. Uh, but they, they've, you know, football allowed me to transform my entire life and many members of my family's life. And so I don't want football to change. And I don't have a problem, not that they're perfect, but I don't have a problem with the leadership of football. Uh, it, it's been very, very good to me and many of my friends. And so there's an entitlement that has overtaken people that no matter how good football and or America has been good to them, ain't been good enough. You know, if, if football wasn't racist, instead of 20 million, I would have made 25 million. Uh, you know, that, that, that's literally the mentality. And so now I'm, I'm, I've interrupted you, go back to your points. No, it's good. I, I, this is why I'm such a huge fan of Governor DeSantis because he explains his thoughts quite well. He's very articulate. And what he does is he moves forward with his values with no shame whatsoever. And he says, you're the problem, not America. If you got problems here, you figure you out and you got the best chance of doing that. Instead of trying to change all of civilization, you need to look at you. And this is, again, I wanted to go through uh, DIE a little bit here because each of these things individually has become a massive problem for America. And we've been convinced that they're good things. Equity is supposed to mean fairness. And if that's what they actually meant, we could agree on that. But fairness has different levels. And what they mean is equal outcome based on race in particular, which isn't fair at all. In what world is race the proper qualification for determining outcome? Equity cannot be applied on a social level. It can only be applied on an individual basis because all of us have different gifts, IQ, work ethic, attitude, set of values that would lead us to those outcomes. And so instead of equity, we should be preaching opportunity, which we used to do. We've moved away from that. Opportunity is not enough. It's still not equal. Equal outcome should never be the goal. It is actually a reprehensible goal to have because what you're saying is, is that everybody is exactly the same and nobody has any gifts. And that's just not the way the world is. The world shouldn't be that way. If it was, God would have made us that way. Everybody has their own gift and thing to offer in different places. So that to me, we've not explained that. We've not explained that, hey, instead of 
mandating the opportunity, uh, mandating the equal outcome. Let's figure out where the deficiencies are, if it happens to be in an individual or an entire group, and help improve the deficiencies so that they can have the outcome that they desire, if they're willing to work for it. Not mandating the outcome because people can't figure it out. That is a problem. And we haven't been able to explain that. We just go along with, well, that's equity. Equity is good. And you saw how the left did it. They went from equality to equity really quick. And the word sounds a lot alike. So nice little sleight of hand. But equity is nothing like equality. Equality, we talk about opportunity. But equity is all about outcome. And that is incredibly problematic. The last one is inclusion. And we've talked a little bit about this, but I, I thought more about it since the Will Smith thing. Inclusion is a word we all used on the playground, and it was like what your teachers told you to do. Hey, make sure you include those kids. Don't leave them out of tag. And so we've all sort of been programmed to think that inclusion is a good thing. But the real value in the world is in exclusivity. Will Smith's marriage is inclusive. How's that working out for him? You and Steve Kim talked about the NFL Hall of Fame several weeks ago. It's becoming too inclusive. It was once, inarguably, the very best of the best. Now it's so watered down it's too inclusive. In fact, the exclusivity is what gave it its value in the first place. Christians should believe in exclusivity more than any other group of people in the world. It is the basis of our faith. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty exclusive. Christianity in that way is definitionally exclusive. There's no way to do it. You and Jesus, that's all you got. So we to go back to my start here, I think guys like Pete Carroll, who, look, maybe he spent too much time in Seattle. You know, he was in L.A. before that. He, he may be Mr. Woke, and that's fine. But if all of us did a better job actually explaining our values and not just saying, hey, we can't just value diversity as the highest value. That's crazy. Hey, everything can't be an equal outcome. Hey, exclusivity is pretty, a, a pretty good thing. We don't explain anything. Instead of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We should be looking at individualism, opportunity, and exclusivity. But we don't explain it worth a crap. So we play all of our time on defense. And if you play a game and you can only trot your defense out there, you're never going to win. I, 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 I want to be careful here because it was years ago. and and But I, I, was, I was very good friends with... Um, James Hasty, very good cornerback for the Kansas City Chiefs, and pre before that the new the New York Jets. James Hasty hated Pete Carroll. It's part of the reason he left New York. He thought Pete Carroll just I'm not speaking out of school. Someone can call James Hasty, and if he denies it, me and James Hasty can get on the phone and we can talk it out. But he swore up and down Pete Carroll was a racist. And uh, I, I would be like, James, man, there's, you know, perhaps there's another explanation, blah, blah, blah. I was very like, I hear you, James, but, you know, maybe he made decisions for X, Y, and Z reasons, blah, blah, blah. But, but to, 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 to see this guy who just is vulnerable based on his hiring record, uh, you'll never convince me, because again, I know James Hasty, and I know what he thought his experience was with the New York Jets. Uh, you know, as long as he's coached in the NFL, as long as he coached at USC, there are people that will say very negative things about Pete Carroll along racial lines. And for him, 
at this late date in his career, now he's wagging a finger at NFL ownership and, and grandstanding because there's no one in that room. I mean, I wish to God I had been in that room because I would have told the dude, and I'm sorry, you wouldn't have been very Christian, but I, STFU, <laughs> I, I would have told him that. Uh, cut out all this BS, man. You know, I don't know if, if Adam Schefter's on hotline speed dial or whatever, who you're going to put this out on Twitter, who who in Seattle is forcing you to do this. I, 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 I've tried to explain to people that this whole social media tech thing and the Internet has erased everybody's secrets. There's a mm. file on all of us. And, and when I hear guys like Pete Carroll do this kind of grandstanding, I just go, boy, I'd love to see his uh, internet search engine and what what websites he's been on, because trust me, they know it and they're holding it over his head. They've read all his emails, his texts, the whole nine, and and someone's put a gun to his head and forcing him uh, to say these things. I've seen this play out in real life with bosses I've had and the dirt that Deadspin or someone had on them and Deadspin would put a gun to their heads and you better do Whitlock this way or that way. It, it, it's, we're just living in a time where when it comes to race and it just comes to honest public discourse, there's virtually none of it. There's just people doing whatever they can to survive and protect their brand and keep collecting that check. And, and like I said, w with what's going on in Seattle, with Russell Wilson out of there, Pete Carroll knows, eh, I ain't gonna be winning for the next couple of years. Let, let me live in this protected space where all the black media is out, is looking out for me and championing me. And I'm, yeah, Pete Carroll's a champion for racial justice. And, and then all the scared white journalists are afraid to touch him because he's a champion for social justice. <laughs> uh, you know, this would have been great if Pete Carroll at that meeting was like, and you know what? I just hired so-and-so to be my offensive coordinator, and I'm going to groom him to replace me as the head coach. That has some value. Sitting there wagging a finger at NFL owners that have created more black millionaires than any other industry in the history of America. It's a joke. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Uh, TJ, I got to keep it moving. Let, I, you can have a final thought. Uh, it was probably a little bit longer than the time you got. I was, I was we can nah, reach take your time. Go ahead. Go All right. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the how they've done this and this is the wokes in general, but it's infiltrated everything is their systemic racism claim because it's an unfalsifiable argument that racism can only go one direction. And when, so what that means is if there's more whites than blacks that in, in some sort of outcome, let's take the NFL head coaches, that's an example of systemic racism alive and well in America. But if there are more blacks than whites, that means blacks have overcome the systemic racism in America and that's okay. So the systemic racism is still there. There's no way to disprove it. It's just that, well, the NFL players who outweigh the, uh, the black players, outweigh the white players, two and a half to one, well, they've just overcome it. That's actually a meritocracy. They're actually doing a pretty good job. But within the same league, there's systemic racism in the coaching. So it's, when you create an unfalsifiable argument and people actually buy into it, you can do whatever you want. And that's what they've created. They've certainly created, they've done it with the help of social media. Uh, you know, 
the, the kind of stuff Pete Carroll says gets retweets and likes and it looks popular and the media is addicted to social media and so, oh, if it's popular over Twitter, this must be what everybody thinks. It's all a big cabal of lies. It's all satanic mm -hmm. energy. Uh, thank you, TJ. Uh, I want to tell you guys about my new best friend, Bullion Max. As inflation surpasses highs not seen in 40 years, the value of the dollar is decreasing with every passing day. You're paying more at the pump, the grocery store, for cars, for housing. Face it, your paper money is becoming worthless. Friends, the timing couldn't be any better for my new sponsor, Bullion Max. Bullion Max is a direct-to-consumer precious metals retailer that can help you diversify into gold and silver. It's a hedge against inflation. It's also security for your family in times of crisis. And here's why I love Bullion Max. They're owned by veterans in the precious metal space, offer some of the lowest prices on the internet, and they make it so easy to buy directly from their website. I wanna help you get started, so I worked out a special offer with them just for you. Get Bullion Max's Silver Starter Kit at employee pricing. Just go to bullionmax.com slash Jason. This kit includes five of the most desirable silver products to invest in, including a silver American Eagle and a silver Australian Kangaroo. This offer is limited to just one per household, so get yours now. Go to bullionmax.com slash Jason. Right now, I, listen, I, I screwed up because I meant to br bring in uh, the gold coin I bought last week uh, from Bullion Max. And, and the, the process was so simple and it fits my worldview and belief in like, hey, we're in the most chaotic time in our lifetime. And this out of control inflation, uh, you know, my lack of complete trust with the big banks, uh, I just, want to invest in something I can hold in my hand, I can keep in a safe place that I know will retain its value, gold and silver. And so this isn't something I'm suggesting to you, this is something I'm doing as well and I want us to do it together. Again, this is about the fearless army mentality and mindset. We wanna be self-sufficient. We wanna be prepared in this time of chaos and uncertainty. Nothing better than having a piece of gold or silver that you own or several pieces. I'm going to build out an entire collection. These are great gifts to my, for my nieces and nephews. It's great comfort for me to have these things. Uh, later this week, when I circle back to Bullion Max, I'm a, I will have my gold coin that I just purchased last week here with me. I'll probably have a second piece as well. Uh, but this is something we can do together to protect ourselves. Bullion Max, B-U-L-L-I-O-N, Max, M-A-X, dot com slash Jason. All right, Shamika and Uncle Jimmy, next. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief 
in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Time for my favorite part of the show. Get some Shamoke up in here, some Shamika Shamoksha. What? What? How the hell are you gonna let Shamika take my my favorite segment, which is me? You said it's me. Now all of a sudden, oh no, I had to get at the Shamika. <laughs> <sighs> well, look, we got the best of both worlds. You said you wanted Shamika on because you told me this story this weekend about you and your granddaughter and you wanted to run it by Shamika. So uh, uh, Shamika, uh, Uncle Jimmy has a question for you before you ask Uncle Jimmy a question. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna tell you a story, Miss Mika. First of all, how are you? You look as lovely as ever. I would bring you an apple. You're looking like a school teacher. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I, I was, I'm gonna tell you a little story, Miss Mika. Uh, I was in Kansas City uh, last weekend. And uh, anyway, th this past weekend, my granddaughter went out to a prom slash winter form. My 16-year-old granddaughter, she went to a prom. There she is right there, look at that. Went to a prom slash winter formal with her boyfriend. What's he doing with his hair? What, what, what boys do with their hair, Jason? <laughs> That's what kids do with their hair. You, you got to stop acting so old. That's how kids wear their hair. Stop it. Go ahead. Furthermore, let me say this, let me say this, because he's a good little kid. Honest to goodness, he's a good kid. His mama's a school teacher. I've been knowing the kid since he's been in kindergarten. He's a good kid. Okay, nonetheless, so I was good with her even going with this kid because I knew who the kid was. And so we're talking and we're going through the, you know, I didn't get into the birds and the bees and all that, but what I did get into her, the conversation I had with her was, they're going to dinner. And I said, okay, listen, baby, when you go to dinner, now if y'all have talked about this beforehand, meaning if you know, you've discussed who's gonna pay for it, it, are you going Dutch, are you paying for yours? Is he pay and I said, now what you have to do is let him, when you go out to dinner, let him determine, you, you, can, de you can determine what his budget is by asking him, so what are we eating? And he's gonna say, hey, we're eating from this side, this is what you know, we can have. Now, I explained to her also, I went on to say, now baby, we got another side of the menu. Now you go on that menu, talking about I want some shrimps, and I want some lobsters, and whatnot, whatnot. Don't do that. And so she immediately stopped me and said, now, Poppy, that's old fashioned. We don't do that no more. Men pay for men, women pay for women. And I'm like, no, baby, don't do that. Because I'm saying if this young man paid for the prom tickets, 
He bought the corsages. He's trying to be a young man. Let him be a young man. If you if you find out that he's a little stra- you know, strapped for money, then you can snap in because I'm going to make sure she's got money. OK, so she's going to be all right no matter which way it happens. But let this young man be a man because he really is trying to do it before you cut him down because you've been told that that's not what women do. What, Shamika, my question for you is, did I give my granddaughter the right advice or is my grandmother or is my granddaughter right? I'm getting old. I'm old fashioned. Well, I do think you're getting old, but I do think that you gave her the right advice because because we are told to train a child in the way they should go. So I do think that women should let men be men, but things have changed. And I wonder about this with my own children. You know, my youngest is 16 because I realize that they're going to expect certain things because of their father. Even when we go out to dinner now, whether it's for their birthday or some other family member's birthday, he picks up the tab. He still picks up my tab. And so I worry if we're teaching them wrong and if they're going to get out here with the way that things have changed, you know, because we are considered old fashioned and be surprised and be shocked and be disappointed. So I think you told her the right thing. And of course, making sure that she has a way to pay for herself if they get there and the waiter says is this one check or two and he says two you know that she has the ability to pay for herself and can handle it like a lady without stress and strain then you know that's a good backup plan but i do think that you should teach women how to be women and to let men be men and not try to trample over them with this whole no i got it when he may very well intentionally be you know wanting to pay that takes me to it makes me think about me going to the prom a few years ago and i was in the 10th (laughs) grade and my date he was a senior and so we went out Mm. to eat and we went to the prom and we had a good time and he paid for everything after the prom he took me to a hotel room and when i walked in the door he had rose petals all over the bed and he had a nice card there telling me how much he loved me and he wanted to make love to me and i panicked because i was a virgin and i was thinking oh my god like i'm not ready and i thought this is why you did all of this because you wanted something from me and so i don't know maybe your granddaughter is thinking I don't want that type of obligation, you know? So I think there's a fine line because even now as an adult woman, I won't go to dinner with the man uh, unless I think something may come of it, like a relationship or, you know, I don't just believe in going out to eat with somebody for free food. And it's funny because I came across this post on Instagram, this wifey for lifey group where they made a post somewhat on how I feel. And the post says, spending your time and sharing your presence with the man just for food is homeless behavior. 
And I hear a lot of women saying that they go out to eat just for the free food. I don't do that, one, because of the obligation, and two, because I do not believe you should treat a man that way. His time and his money is is precious and it's unfair to do that knowing nothing will ever, ever come from it, not even a friendship. Like, why would you do that? And so... You know, unless you want to step in, this this kind of brings me to my question for you, Uncle Jimmy. But I'm going to pause in case, you know. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I may have a comment at the end because what I'm going to say is inappropriate. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say it now. Okay. And I'm apologizing to your grandbaby, Uncle Jimmy, and her date. But, you know, when they go into the same beauty salon house, instead of one going to the barber shop and one going to the beauty shop, that's my issue. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and I apologize. I have no comment. He's, he's a good kid. I it's just, that's what just throws me off now, man. It just, these kids and they, these dudes and they hair. Anyway, I done dirty up the Hold on, you, you notice most women like to shave, shave the sides of their head. Come on, I'm sorry, go ahead, Shamika. <laughs> I'm just they saying. I'm with your question, Shamika. Okay, so this brings me to my question. As an adult woman, I've had men offer to fly me to see them. Um, Different states, but not just the states, as far as Australia, Egypt, come out here and see me. And then they always say, you know, nothing has to happen. We can just, you know, we can stay together, but this isn't an obligation for sex. I never take them up on the offer because to me, it feels like an obligation. And so I have the question to Uncle Jimmy, can a man and a woman stay in the same room, sleep in the same bed, lay beside each other with no expectation of sex, especially when you've flown her out there to see you? Let me answer first, Jim, while you collect your thoughts. I think it can happen depending on the man's age and the status of his Viagra prescription. If if, if he, depending on his age and no Viagra, yes, it can happen. It can be a totally platonic situation. Other than that, no. (laughs) I agree with both of you completely. Shamika, I think that if it's two adults, two Evenly minded adults, yes, you can do it. And 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 I don't, I mean, if y'all have agreed upon the fact, why can't you? I mean, wait a minute, in the movie, what was that movie? Waiting to Exhale? Remember with uh, Angela Bassett? Didn't her and Wesley Snipes? Everybody thought that Wesley was going to knock her back out? What'd they do? They laid there and spooned. So come on, y'all, ain't that what y'all said y'all wanted? Yeah, but but in the that's the movie, Uncle Jimmy. In the book, <laughs> that's not what happened. In the book, he went all the way, and I yeah, just feel that like spoon, that spoon, and he he brought a fork out. Right. <laughs> I just don't see the purpose in that. Like, what is the point? You can do it, but why? Like, why do we play these type of games as adults? If I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna play that game if I can't grab your joystick. So I just wanted, <laughs> like, you know, we shouldn't put ourselves in those types of positions. I feel 
as adults. Yeah, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. I just, I'm gonna just let it go with that. Yeah, since really. she, since she's reaching up grabbing joysticks, I have no <laughs> comments. You know what? It's it's a very rare segment where me and Shamika have been more inappropriate than you. I'm very proud of you, Jim. I made a fork joke. She made a joystick joke, and you stayed clean. <laughs> Good job, Jim. Good job. Thank you, Shamika. I'm gonna go Thank before. You. Trying to get to heaven. Come on, yeah, man. I'm, you and Shamika ain't yeah. taking me nowhere, man. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here without saying more. Uh, Stop. You know what, though? I'm just sitting here thinking. Uh, but I just came up with a situation. Okay. Yeah, you just thought of one. I just thought of one where I took a girl to Chicago. Okay. Very dis- and, and we went with <laughs> misunderstood expectations. Okay. And I, I remember that. And so I'm just going to leave it there. What about that time when you took that girl to the ESPYs and she left with somebody else? No, she got sent home. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute, y'all had an understanding about the misunderstanding? (laughs) The nightmare scenario. I hope she's not watching. She's, She's a very good friend of mine. And well, I, I, but more than one, more than one's done that to you. So, it, you know, they don't know which one it is. <laughs> the Espies, I think. <laughs> you ain't never did it again. <laughs> I went to the Espies a few times. Anyway. Let's go, man. Let's go. You don't brought back that. All right, let me go to my approval rating for Elon Musk. You sweating uh, like that preacher you was talking about yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I, re- <laughs> I really am. Uh, look, the guy's the richest guy in the world. He's on his job, you know. Tesla and all that other stuff. So I got to give him a 25 perfect score in job performance. I give him a 25. You just said it. The man's name is Elon, Eli, Elon, Eli freaking Musk. The man is worth 260 billion, Jason. A lot of people don't know this, man, but the man's going straight to hell. Jesus applied to, for a loan from this dude last year, and G, he turned Jesus down. He's going to hell. Come on, man. 25. Uh, character, again, the Bible says uh, it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle yes. than for a rich man to see the kingdom of God. And so I just you can't have that much money and be high character, in my opinion. Mm. So I give him a 16. Uh, I give him a 25 for character. Man's been on South Park. He been on Rich and Marty. Uh, if you ask me as far as character goes, man, this man is an illegal alien. This man is a white African and he's undocumented. That man has no papers to say he's supposed to be in this country. <laughs> this man reminds me of, of what's that dude's name that owns Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. Joel Osteen, all of these people. They aliens. Look at them, Jason. Just look at them. They aliens. They ain't from here. <laughs> That's why they got so much money, man. I'm not falling for the okie doke. Come on, man. That's what I'm telling you. They true characters. I'm sorry. Authenticity. <sighs> kind of the same lane. There's just too much money to be authentic. He's all over Twitter and social media. So I'm, I'm right down the middle. I gave him a 12 in authenticity. Jason, the man is a rich, white African. Something ain't right, man. I just, I just, something's wrong, man. I just don't know. Something ain't right. So I got to give him a zero to figure that out, man. Mm. <laughs> All right. And uh, it factor, I think he certainly has it. I mean, 
probably one of the most popular people on social media. People are attracted to his thoughts, his ideas, uh, his boldness. So I give him a 24 in it. I give him 25. For the we we're all say we both saying the same reasons. I mean, we both in the same lane. How are you gonna talk bad about a man that got two hundred and sixty billion dollars? This man can buy a world, so it ain't nothing for him to buy a soul. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? Hey man, I, I'm just telling you, I get worried when one person has this much power, you know, because. That's called a monopoly, man. America's not set up to be ran like that, man. I don't like it. I don't like it at all, man. And as a matter of fact, matter of fact, let me tell you this, because about Elon Musk, we, I looked this guy up, and this is the thing about him that bothers me a little bit, because he says things like, I don't want to be political. But then you know this dude just put out a tweet that said, we are not here to mourn the life of the unborn, uh, 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 to mourn the life of the unborn? Come on now, what, what does that mean? See, there you go. All right, I got him at a smoke show at 77. You've got him at a grease fire at 75. Hey, if he'd have dropped me a million, I'd take the show up a little bit, but. <laughs> Maybe know. he'll see this and he will drop us both several million. I don't think I want to talk. Man, that dude scares me, man. He just look like he rip his flesh off and keep on talking. <laughs> All right, there's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. We are receiving all the seeds when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want.